Good morning, church family. Good morning, Grace Place, both on campus and online. We're glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, we are getting close to winding up our series on the walk. Uh, it has been a long journey through the book of Ephesians and a good one. God has taught us a lot and uh, we are ending with a, a huge exclamation point, maybe uh, two of the most important messages that we will hear in our day and in our time are these next two, which are about spiritual warfare, and I've titled them Be Strong in the Lord, uh, part one today, where we're going to kind of lay the groundwork for the understanding of, of why there is, is real spiritual battle and spiritual warfare, and then part two, the weapons that God has given us uh, as we stand strong in Christ uh, through the warfare that the enemy is waging in our world on a daily, moment-by-moment moment, uh, basis. And so uh, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to look in a moment at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. We'll go 10 through 20, and uh, we'll do part of that this Sunday and, and part uh, the next Sunday. I was thinking as we were singing uh, the songs that align with what uh, the message is today about, you know, spiritual warfare and this is how I fight my battles, you know, and, and uh, it got me to thinking a little bit about how there has been, uh, you know, some people who have uh, had a little um, angst with, the, uh, with modern worship uh, music, you know, and, and writing. And one of the constant criticisms is, is that, you know, it's just repetitive, you know. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how, this is how. And that's, you know, those, those criticisms are coming from a generation uh, who know better. You know, we had great uh, wordsmiths like KC and the Sunshine Band. Shake your booty. Shake your booty. Shake, shake, shake. Shake, 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 shake your booty. <laughs> Indelibly impressed upon us, uh, laid the course for our lives. Um, <laughs> I have no rocks to throw at modern worship music. I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> I, and I am so grateful for all that God has, has brought to us through every generation and how sweet the music is. I, I have an, uh, an article I posted, if you're interested in, in reading about that, because periodically there's these criticisms that arise on, uh, you know, in the Internet, and uh, they, they will take long pains to write out how, you know, that the real worship music was, you know, the hymns, and, you know, there's, there's no, uh, this modern music is just, just not good, and, and it's not telling us anything, and it's, it's easy, and it's light, and so on and so forth. And so I had uh, written an article about that. You can, you can read that on our, our, our blog post. But uh, one of the, uh, the interesting was, uh, things was talking about how the hymns were actually taken from the culture of their day. Uh, we used to sing a song when I was growing up. Uh, and I don't, how many of you would remember this? You have to be ancient. But every day I'm camping in the land of Canaan. Anybody remember that? We used to sing I'm camping, I'm camping in Canaan's happy land. So anybody, anybody at all besides me remember that song? <laughs> we would sing that song, uh, but it was, it was taken from uh, a, a uh, actual, uh, the tune of it was, was taken from a song that might be familiar to you. 
here's my Easter bonnet with all its frills upon it. <laughs> uh, there's another one that uh, I thought was kind of uh, interesting. You know, uh, who, who, who remembers whosoever surely meaneth me? Anybody remember that? You may also remember Hogan's Heroes. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so we, we, really, um, we really have uh, a gift often. You know, I recognize that not all music that's written, not every sermon that's preached is anointed and all that kind of thing. And so I, I, will, I will give that ground that, you know, there probably are some things out there that, uh, you know, are, are just, you know, maybe just meant for your living room or the shower and, you know, <laughs> and not to be sung in all the public places and everything. But, uh, you know, we do have some blessed... Uh, musicians and and uh, poets and people in our day too that are writing some great music and uh, we got a chance to sing some of that as we're as we're launching into talking about spiritual warfare got your place there i have done a long introduction huh ephesians chapter 6 uh, beginning at verse 10 finally be strong in the lord in his might uh, in his mighty power Put on the full armor of God so that you can uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. I would, I would have you like kind of highlight, yes, thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. I didn't invite you to do that, but please do. Uh, I would have you like highlight uh, where he's saying for us to stand. Stand uh, against the devil's schemes. Verse 11 there. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the, uh, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground again. And after you have done everything to stand, um, and stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with your breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted for the readiness uh, that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, uh, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that wherever I, uh, whenever I speak words that are given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, inviting you into these next few moments, that there would come an awareness over us uh, of even areas, Lord, that we have been blinded to hither to this point, and see the enemy behind the schemes and tasks uh, that are taking place in our lives, in the lives of our family and those around us, that we might do what you're asking us to do, stand in Christ, and that we might pray one for another and encourage one another in the word of the Lord. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Paul here is addressing the notion of uh, a devil, the idea of demonic, personal, intelligent forces with a mission that is to destroy mankind. 
And if you were to open this kind of discussion in public, like you go to your workplace and you say, you know, there's a, there's a real devil, there are heavenly forces and, and realms that are, that are fighting against you. And, you know, the reason that things are not going so great, you know, that you've been telling me about in, in marriage and, and, and in your life and, and in your finances and in so many areas is the, is the devil is attacking. So you, if you were to take this out to the public place, you can, you can imagine uh, what it would be like, right? The, the scoffers and the mockers and, and people would say, you know, you're crazy. You know, you just, uh, you know, you, 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 are, you don't even know what you're talking about. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's karma, and uh, you know, and then so on and so forth. They would have all kinds of reasoning, and yet, um, all of the uh, many of the the movies, um, the the reading materials have been dedicated to to just this matter of spiritual warfare. I hit on just a few here: The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Blair Witch Project, The Omen, Princess of Darkness. Uh, the Devil's Advocate, The Conjuring, and you know I've only touched on just a handful of things that have been out there and are prevalent in our society, have been written about, have been, uh, movies have been made about them, there's been, they've been deep subject matter, and the question then must inevitably, we must inevitably ask, when we, we see all this going on, we must ask the mockers, why, why the preoccupation with something you don't believe? Why, why any interest at all in these things that you don't believe in? Unless, of course, <laughs> the preoccupation is the indication uh, of the reality of, of, this, this, uh, of a real contemporary evil that is uh, abiding in our world. In 1978, uh, the year I graduated from high school, don't do the math, on the 25th of November, 1978, The Economist uh, magazine ran an article and under this heading, and it was interesting to me because prior really to, to my birth and still being talked about in early years uh, of my life was, uh, of course, the writings that, that had to be God is dead. And so the title of this article uh, attracted my attention. It says, Is Satan Dead? And uh, it, 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 was, it was written shortly uh, after the mass suicide of the James Jones cult, and there are those here who have no idea what that was about, happened in, in Guyana, and uh, I have the stats up to show you, 909 in total men, women, and children. 909. Each one of those numbers represents a life. And the writer of the article is expressing the fact that the vacuum that has been created by the increasing decline in the influence of Christianity is being filled with, in its place, evil. Everywhere there's a vacuum uh, of Christianity, he was, he was noting there, that in that vacuum is being filled evil. And so wherever the churches were in decline, wherever uh, the Christianity was, was, was shrinking in communities and and, uh, and on the fall, falling side of it, that in its place was being ushered in a true evil. It was Dostoevsky that uh, wrote, the, the Russian philosopher, when people cease to believe in God, they don't believe in nothing. They start to believe in everything. They don't believe in nothing. They start to believe in everything. 
the absence of the one true God, the belief is wide open to whatever would come in the door. I noted in my preparations for this, it, it struck me in kind of a, a, a note from the Holy Spirit, really, I guess, and I, I put it together and, and posted it on our, our social media site for uh, the church, is that evil cloaks itself in the garment you most wish to wear. Evil always cloaks itself in the garment you most covet or wish to wear. Paul begins by saying that for we struggle not with flesh and blood. He's talking about uh, with, with, with you and I, with human beings. And, and when we get caught up in that, whether it's the, the arena of, of recent days of the, of the politics raging for this or for that, when we get caught up in wrestling with one another, we miss the real war that is going on. We, we, we don't do our due diligence in the sense of doing battle uh, at a level that really makes an impact against the kingdom of darkness. Included in the, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to his disciples these words, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I would note that, he's, that this is a prayer that Christians are called to pray. It, it, it wasn't a prayer that like, you know, this just thrown out there like to the, to the world in general. It was, it was a prayer directed to the disciples coming and asking, you know, how should we pray? And, and Jesus giving them specific instruction. And in that, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? It was Peter that uh, was on the receiving end of that instruction from Jesus and he, with the question how to pray. And, and when, when he writes to his readers in the first epistle that he writes, he, he describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are at war. So the question to why should, should we pray that way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is that we are at war. We are at war every day, we are at war every minute, we are at war every moment that we're breathing on this planet. Talk about it next week, I'll just throw it out there for you. You are always at war, you are either at war with God and at peace with the devil, or at peace with God and at war with the devil. That's what spiritual warfare is. So you don't get to opt out. You are at war one way or another. God is contending for you and driving home, you know, and sending people into your life that's bringing constant conflict to witness to you and to tell you about him and to invite his presence into your life. Or you're at war with a real devil who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. I caught a documentary uh, a few weeks ago, and, and this, it was a story of five uh, Jewish-Hungarian Holocaust survivors. And it was really a fascinating. There were a number of things that stuck with me as I was uh, watching this particular uh, biography. And, uh, of course, tears. Uh, it was very sad uh, to hear them tell of their stories in, in detail. And uh, several of the, you know, the stories stuck out with me. But one of them was explaining why they had not tried to flee Hungary before the Nazis' invaders entered. Because this really was one of the last places uh, that the Nazis came and took over. So even though they had heard stories, personal one-on-one -on -one stories about what was happening to the Jews in every other one of these countries, they did not flee. They didn't run from Hungary. They, they stayed uh, there. 
And one of the women survivors talked about how leading up to the invasion, that many of the citizens, many of the people in the, in the town, uh, you know, had, um, you know, been persuaded to adopt uh, Nazi views incrementally. Slow changes in the law, segregation laws, isolating Jews, tiny changes at first, little things. And the Jews did not believe that they were at war. They just thought to themselves, you know, they, they felt safe still there in their homes and in this environment, still had friends in the community. And so they, they just thought, we'll just, we'll just comply and then things will calm down. And this kept happening incrementally. And then the dawning moment came for them when the cities required, all of the cities in Hungary began to require the Jewish people, young and old, if they left their homes to wear a yellow star at all times outside of their homes, that they could be easily identified. At this point, it was too late for them to speak up. It was too late for them to have a voice in the community, in the council, and among others. And it was only days after this edict was laid, weeks, a few weeks after this edict was laid down on wearing the star, that the Nazis entered Hungary without firing a single shot. And the town the spokeswoman uh, was living in, she said that it was just a couple of SS men uh, on, on motorcycles. And they took over her whole town. Willingly, the mayor and everyone else handed the power and the keys to the city over. And the underlying lesson coming out of watching that was trying to live at peace with the devil is a losing proposition. You are never going to be able to live with the devil at peace. Verse 12 uh, Paul was by saying, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So in other words, the conflict which we find ourselves in, uh, rather than, than being a, a denial of our faith, really, and this should be in a way encouraging to us, is in, it is in a strange way evidence of our faith. In other words, if you're being, uh, you know, if the enemy is fighting with you, I think Jake said that this morning in our prayer circle, if the enemy is fighting with you, it's kind of encouraging because he, he, you belong to God. Yeah. That's, that's one of our signs to know. If you're engaged in spiritual warfare, it's encouraging because you belong to the Lord. Yeah. So, so why is the conflict, though, so intense? Why, why is the enemy bent on, the, you know, what we had talked about in John 10 and 10? Kill, steal, and destroy, his outlining his, his great plan, you know, for your life. God has a plan for your life. The enemy has a plan as well. So why is it uh, that this, this uh, battle is so intense and so personal? And, and, and the answer to that is that you made Jesus Lord and leader of your life. That's, that's the single answer to that question. Ephesians chapter 2 and 2, you may remember as we roll back a little bit, that you were before called the sons of disobedience the sons of disobedience. And now you've come into the kingdom. We, we have been transferred out of that, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, out of uh, Satan's uh, you know, kingdom, and into the kingdom of light. And, and we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness, 
uh, but in the kingdom of light. And, and we are no longer following the ways of the prince of the evil age. We are now followers of Jesus. We are no longer in Satan's camp. We are in Christ's kingdom. And in Christ's kingdom, we are doing great damage to the dark kingdom, to the evil kingdom. Because, you know, Paul, when, when Jesus spoke to, um, you know, to Peter and he said, I'm going I'm to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. He was giving us a clue as to how the kingdom expands. We just keep pushing the gates <laughs> further into darkness. And as we push them in the darkness, the light comes and, and there's more light in that area. And so you have become an enemy of the enemy. And, and he, that's, that's the reason why he is so, so personal about this battle and struggling with you. And it's the reason why you will never find peace. Even if you capitulate, you'll only find slavery. You'll only find that he will work that plan out uh, to its fullest end. Kill, steal, destroy. We're told right away that we can't face this struggle in our flesh, in our strength, in our power, in our own intellect. One of uh, the, the movement that, uh, that I belong to and grew up in, uh, quite often the, the phrase would be, you know, that, that scripture taken uh, from, from the Bible, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. It was a constant reminder to us that this, this, this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in, is, is not going to be won by our intellect, by, you know, uh, I, I made a smarter meme and put it up on social media, then all the rest, I really schooled them, you know. <laughs> and our intellect, you know, we're going to take down the other arguments of the world, you know. Uh, you know, in our, in our own power, in our own intellect. You know what's going to bring down the, 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 uh, the darkness for others to see the light of the kingdom of God is, is when we are standing firm in Christ and praying yeah. Yeah. for them that they will, eyes will not be blinded any longer, but they will see. Yeah. Uh, the things that, that work in the, in the arena of human conflict are, are useless in spiritual conflict. And, and Paul's uh, spelling this out for us so that we can know better uh, how to, to be successful in the battle. The enemy has an advantage over you, a clear advantage over you. He's more powerful. That's part of this early warning and some of the names that were given uh, to the enemy that, to help us understand that, that he is more powerful than human flesh. And he's had a lot of success in all of our lives. We can, we can all look at how he's had some successes. He's had some wins in our life, how we failed in sin. He has that advantage because he knows your tendencies. He's been around. You know, we were talking this morning about you know, the, one of the disadvantages of human history. If you live to be 100 uh, and you're done, you know, that's, that's not a long time. You know, the enemy's lived tens of thousands of years in our time, in our time. Knows you, knows your, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, on and on. So he, he knows, he predicts with great accuracy your tendencies, your weaknesses, your addictions. He knows your heritage. And, and he is the master of ambush. Yeah. And, he, and he is a tactic that is very successful for him is, is using, you know, uh, is his accusatory tactic, which he accuses you to God. He accuses God to you. Yeah. And he accuses you to your neighbor. He's, he's been very successful at this, and we've fallen into that trap so many times. 
that, you know, it, 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 after a while you'd think, man, we're smart, we should be smarter than But we have such a short tenure on the earth that there are, you know, 18, 20-year-olds that haven't seen what you and I have seen. And by the time they learn it, you know, they're going to be going on, and the next generation is coming behind them. When the onslaught of hell engages you fully, uh, and, and, and the power of the enemy is coming against you, you recognize immediately that you're powerless in your own flesh, in your own intellect. We are all witnesses to the devastation of these attacks. We've all seen divorce, been a part of it, it's been around us, it's touched us, it's hurt us. We've been a part of seeing others, or maybe ourselves, in financial ruin. We've seen character assassination, suicide, scars, both physical and emotional, that carry through a lifetime, mental and emotional collapses where people just overwhelmed by, by all that's going on and they, they are no longer able to function. Murder, incarceration, depression. We go on and on. So what can we do? And, and, and Paul lays out the, the strategy and from uh, how from we go from struggle to strategy. And he, and he says the strategy of the believer in these circumstances is uh, spelled out in this passage as we stated earlier. I had you underline and it's aptly summarized in a repeated statement, uh, the use of the verb to stand. Yeah. To stand. You have advanced. The kingdom of light is advanced. We don't give up ground. Yeah. We stand. Yeah. We do not retreat and surrender family members and, and uh, our integrity and our character and, and fall away into the darkness. We stand yeah. strong yeah. and firm. Look at verse 11. It says, you know, he talks about being able to stand, and then uh, he goes on to verse 13, that you may be able to withstand, or that you may be able to stand your ground. And then in verse 14, he says, stand therefore having the belt of truth. Philip's uh, paraphrase of this passage, uh, Philip's Bible paraphrase says, so that when you have fought to a standstill, you can still stand your ground. <laughs> You're, you've fought to a standstill against the enemy, and, and when he's done, he's like, you haven't given up any ground. <laughs> the key in, in verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Say that with me. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The most vital thing that we can understand about our union in Christ is that we are in Christ. Had a, a an argument raging amongst uh, pastors and ministers on a, a site that I'm at, where uh, a, a generation back uh, there there are some a handful of that are uh, falling into a trap, and uh, the trap is uh, that you know uh, we we need to be. Um, Part of repentance is, is carrying on this repentance for generations past and all the things that have taken place. In a way, it's akin to uh, what we see in the cult of Mormonism and some others where they're being baptized for the dead. You know, like you need a remission. And, and, and what's happening here is there's, 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 a, there's, a, uh, there's not an understanding with these uh, particular individuals about what it means to be in Christ. 
in Christ. You're guilty. I'm guilty. We're guilty for our sin. We're guilty for generations of sin that is coming up. What, what, is, what is the difference in, in New Testament living in Christ? I'm not standing up here as, as a representative of the Scottish-Irish. <laughs> right. I'm standing up here in Christ. In Christ. And it is so powerful, Paul repeats it over and over again. In Christ in verse 11. In Christ in verse 12. In Him, verse 13. Go through all of Ephesians. Just keep saying, in Him. In Christ. In Him. You have, you have become a new creation. You are a, a new creature. You're walking not as you did it, it before. You are in Christ and you're walking in a new way. And the reason that that is so important is because uh, only as a life lived in union with Christ, we're going to be able to uh, engage as required in the struggle. In Scripture, Satan is called the God of, uh, and the ruler of the world, the strong-armed man, the, the prince of the power of the air, the roaring lion. And, and we, can, we must understand that the only way we can stand is in Christ. In Christ. And that challenge that, that runs from the beginning to the end of the journey tells us that, that we're pilgrims in this process. We're aliens in this world. We're strangers here now because we are in Christ. And we're walking not as the world and as the rest of culture. We've been transformed. We're a new creation. And we are, we are um, aliens on the planet. <laughs> Uh, we're not out of the world, you know, and, and um, you know, in all of its disinterest and opposition of God. In, in truth, we are in the world, but we're in the world as aliens, as different kinds of people. I'm going to close in telling you this story. Um, if, uh, how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? I would encourage you to, and maybe even reread if you want, uh, one of the, the second most read and purchased book on the planet. What's the first? The Bible. The second is Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book about the Bible. Actually, an analogy kind of written about the, the, the progress of, of your walk in Christianity, written by John Bunyan, a, a brilliant, brilliant piece. Um, and a Pilgrim comes to uh, the enchanted ground. For those of you who haven't read the book, but you have, how many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay, you've seen The Wizard of Oz. Okay. So you remember as they arrive to the city of Oz, all right, they're almost there, and they come through that poppy field. Do you remember that? And, and it's making them sleepy, and they're trying, uh, it's just right at the gates of, of Oz. It's, it's almost there, right? And, it's, and they're becoming sleepy, and, and they're, they're, they're at risk for losing out on what will happen in the Emerald City as a result of, of what is happening there, and, and they, they get rescued, right? So the enchanted ground was similar to that. It, it's, it's a place of, of tranquility, enchantment. It can induce sleepiness and, and carelessness and, you know, worry-free. It just seemed like, you know, this is the place I can rest. And, and at this point, Bunyan is, is making uh, the... the uh, Right close to, he's making the point that right close to the entry of the heavenly kingdom is a place of enchantment that would rob you from the heavenly kingdom. Pilgrim has made such a journey to this point. 
And so many struggles and so much warfare and so many things have happened. But right before the gates, this is a place you should just give up and rest. And the place of enchantment is there in order to try to seduce Pilgrim, to cause Pilgrim to fall asleep that close to the heavenly city. And as you read the story, valiant of, for truth and honesty come into the realm, just as, you know, in the story of the Wizard of Oz, the, the, the Glinda the Good Witch, you know, she's uh, helping them out. And here comes valiant for truth and honesty. Uh, they come into the realm uh, into this enchanted ground, but they come uh, on, on a man who's on his knees and his hands are lifted and his eyes are lifted up to heaven and he's praying and, and he's praying for help dealing with the enchanted territory. And, and, and he finds himself there and he's about to give up. And as he prays for help, help comes in the form of valiant uh, for truth and honesty and as they engage him, they essentially ask, what's the deal? You know, why are you slowing down? What's, what's the problem here? And he says to them, the problem is Madam Bubble. So what's the problem with Madam Bubble? Oh, he says, she's offered me her body, her purse, and her bed. Right on the threshold of the heavenly kingdom. Bunyan was so keenly aware of that truth of Scripture that says, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. He was keenly aware that there are those who are walking around with a pseudo kind of righteousness that become completely unaware that the tactics of the enemy have suddenly shifted and that the battle and the push and the warfare I've had people sit in my office who've said, who, who are breaking up one marriage and they're sitting there with another person saying, God brought us together. There's a peace, there's a tranquility to this. I married the wrong person in the first place. I've had people come into my office and say, you know, um, I'm, I'm leaving the ministry because it just I wasn't cut out for it and I'm going a different route. I think God's released me of it and given me a different call. In the progress of time, people can be brought to a crashing halt because the tactics of the enemy shifted from being extreme and intense warfare to like, just relax and enjoy this. Pleasure yourself. Enjoy the pleasures, the soothing comforts of what is going on. And it was valiant uh, for truth and honesty that declares, wake up. Yes. Madam Bubble is a witch. Yes. A representative of the cosmic struggle that takes place in the heavenlies, that expresses itself in time and in reality uh, in the moment. And Paul says, finally, I need to talk to you about this. It's all about your marriage. It's all about your kids. It's all about your job. It's all about your entire life, everything. How good is God that he's provided comprehensive armor for engaging and standing and that he himself will fight your yeah, battles. Yeah, 
inviting our worship team to come up. It is fitting this morning that it is time for us to receive communion, to come to the Lord's table. There are different practices in a different church, mainline churches, and uh, some many have adopted a, a, a posture of a closed communion. Closed communion meaning that you needed to go through certain uh, criteria in order to qualify to receive communion. We saw in the news today one of the political figures is being refused communion in a closed communion uh, kind of setting. Uh, we have practiced and, and many uh, churches uh, align with us in an open communion. And I want to explain a little bit about what that means for all of us. It means that God has invited all of us to the table. But what is this table? It's an opportunity for us to remember what the Lord has done on our behalf. That his body was broken for us, and on the top part is the uh, representative of that. It is, uh, and these are representative. In some closed communion settings, they, they will bless these and believe they are actual body, actual blood of Christ. We do not. This is a symbol, a symbol of the body of Christ that was broken for us. We're not doing it for your salvation. We're doing it for your remembrance of what has been done. You are standing in a place of victory because of what Christ has done. Yes, please stand. You're standing in a place of victory because of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. It reminds us that for those of us who have made him the Lord and the leader of our life, that there is no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper. There's no devil that can take us down. We are in Christ. It was in the storm in the boat that the disciples began to, you know, worry that they were going to be overthrown. And, and one of them said to the other, hey, Jesus is asleep down in the belly of the boat. Go wake Jesus up, you know. Because this thing's being tossed about, we're all going to be killed. At least he can be awake when he dies, right? <laughs> Going down to wake up Jesus is a, is, is a reminder that you, in your boat, is Jesus. And God never sinks the boat with his son. <laughs> and you have become a son, and you have become a daughter by receiving him and making him, him Lord and leader of your life. We do this to remember what he has accomplished for us, his broken body for us. Let me pray over that which represents the body of the Lord. Lord, we thank you. As we receive this, we remember that your body was wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon you. But with your stripes, we are healed. We lay claim, Lord, to the victory that we have in you because of you and because of what you accomplished. You are the victor. And we stand in the light of your victory. And as we receive this this morning, we remember what you accomplished for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the broken body. Leviticus, uh, there's a passage of scripture that says the, the life of the body is in the blood. Science has uh, 
proven this out. Science has discovered that the lifeline of, of our existence is, is in this blood traveling back and forth and doing what it's supposed to do, providing the nutrients and the antibodies and all the things that are necessary to keep us going and the heart pumping that blood around in our, in our system. It's so vital. The life of the body of Christ and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What he accomplished for us makes it, makes it so that we can stand in front of him and he can look at us. God himself turned away while Jesus was on the cross and all of the sin of mankind was, was there. God turned away the words of Jesus, some of the, the seven words, the last words of Jesus among them recorded were, Father, you know, why hast thou forsaken me? And it was in that moment when God had to turn away because he couldn't look on our sin, but then the perfect lamb paid the price. Yes. 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 And now he can look at you in sin through Jesus Christ and receive your petition to say, Lord, forgive me. Yes. Cleanse me. I was deceived again by the enemy. I was drawn away by my own lust and desires. God, forgive me. This close to the kingdom, I laid down my armor and I took a nap and it's cost me. It's cost me. And I'm asking you to forgive me and begin to rebuild in my life, my marriage, my relationships, my job, my finances. Rebuild it all, Lord. As I lay it down in front of you. We thank you, Lord, for that which represents the blood that was shed for each one of us. The forgiveness the ability to be members of the family of God because the blood of Jesus flows through us as we make you Lord and leader of our life. We thank you for that and we receive this in remembrance of what you accomplished at Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. Receive it.